So beginning with this passage from the Gospel, and these ten lepers. Of the ten lepers, only one comes back to thank our Lord. And it's a real powerful uh, illustration of how important it is for us to thank God, and to thank each other, and to be grateful for what we have, and, and for the good things that we have. With that said, thanking others isn't natural. It has to be taught to children. We have to teach children to say thank you. They don't instinctively do that. It's just like we uh, uh, owe so many different things that we have to teach children that as adults we just take for granted kind of thing. It begs the question for me, well, why is it that we don't naturally thank? Why is it that we aren't naturally grateful? And I think it has to do with Eden. When God made us, he made us in his own image and likeness, and he made us perfect in a perfect place, Eden. So Adam and Eve have no needs, no anything. Everything is just as it should be, perfect. And then, of course, they sin. And then once they sin and their nature changes, original sin enters into them, etc., then their world is no longer perfect. But within Adam and Eve and within the DNA of their offspring, within you and I, there's this presumption that we're still in the Garden of Eden and everything should work fine. So when everything is working fine, we don't notice it. When we just don't notice that. We don't, we don't say, my car started this morning. This is awesome. Thank you, God. We just assume the car will start. When it doesn't, we go, oh, man, what's going on? We have this natural predisposition to think that everything in our world should be perfect and just fine. And when it's not, we notice. And when it is perfect and fine, we don't. And that's a real problem for us. God has given us all things. He's given us the light that we're using to see with our eyeballs, to see the air that we're using right now to breathe, this beautiful day here, uh, the food that we'll eat today, the clothing we're wearing, the roof over our head, all these things. And we have to thank Him. We have to thank Him. In fact, the word for Holy Communion is a Greek word called Eucharist, and it simply means thanksgiving. We must thank God. We must thank our Creator. And thanksgiving is probably the closest word that we have to worship, that we have the great work of worshiping God through thanksgiving, thanking Him for our life and for what lay before us in the kingdom of heaven which none of us have deserved. But do we ever thank our Lord when the car doesn't start? When we feel a pain somewhere in our body? When things don't work out? When things are awful? Do we thank Him? In our first reading today, the king of Syria, Naaman, he's got leprosy. All the money in the kingdom of Syria and all the doctors in Syria and all the soothsayers in Syria can't heal him from leprosy. He's got it. And you know where this goes. You know where this goes 2,000 years ago. And so he hears about Elisha, the great prophet of the foreign country of Israel. And Elisha worships the one God and Naaman worships multiple gods or whatever gods he worships, Baal and whatever else kind of thing, cows. But none of those have worked out. So he reaches out to Elisha and sends by emissaries. Hey, we hear that you've got kind of supernatural powers down there. Can you fix our king? So Elisha takes it to prayer. And what the Lord tells Elisha is, 
have the king of Syria come down to Israel and dunk himself in the Jordan River seven times, and I will cure him. Naaman gets the word and he says, uh, why should I go down to the river, to Jordan River in Israel? I, there are rivers here in Syria. This is ridiculous. I'm not going to go down to the Jordan River. I've got rivers right here. And so there. And then nothing changes. And then Elisha, and then Naaman thinks to himself, on second thought, if there is a chance I could be cured of leprosy, maybe I should humble myself and go down to Israel and dunk in the Jordan River seven times. And if it doesn't work out, I'll kill that Elisha guy for embarrassing me. But if it does work out, this is awesome. So he finally goes. And sure enough, he dunks seven times and he's cured of his leprosy. Now he'll give Elisha all the money in his kingdom and whatever Elisha might want. And Elisha says, I want none of that. You keep it all to yourself. Forget about it. Just respect and honor the God of Israel. And that's what Naaman does. And this is the point of the story. Without leprosy, the king of Syria would have never respected and honored the God of Israel. His disability or his problem, his crisis was the vehicle that God used to bring about some conversion. And isn't that true in our own lives? I I don't become a better and better person because everything in my life keeps working out. I become a better and better person because all kinds of things don't work out. And I find I have to keep toiling and sacrificing and trudging and surrendering, etc. And in the process, I keep becoming an ever better human being. This is the way it works. So when an Adam and Eve fall, God realizes, now the only way to get you to be virtuous and holy people, godly people, is for you to suffer. And then to offer that to me. And then to use the suffering as a catalyst for your conversion. And that's true for all of us. The wealthy, the powerful, the beauty, the beautiful, the, the, the healthy, the physically fit, I guess they don't need God. They don't need God. Where were the Pharisees amongst the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ? Where were the most educated? Where were the powers that be, the government officials of either the Roman Empire or Herod, etc.? Where were they amongst the the 12 apostles? They were nowhere to be seen. They were simple fishermen. They were just blue-collar guys who worked with their hands. And some of them, like Peter, might not have been able to read, read and write so well. That's why we don't have a gospel of Peter. It's by all of these failures and these difficulties, and I'll name some of them that at first we kind of recoil, but they can be a true blessing. What if somebody is born with a developmental disability? Maybe that developmental disability is the thing that would keep that person out of hell because God knew that if they were born normal and natural and healthy and all of that other stuff, they would have grown up to become a great sinner and blown God off and then died, stood before God and lost eternity. But God blessed them with a disability at birth. And maybe it wasn't even just them. God blessed the parents with the disability of the child because now the parents had to work extra hard to meet this child's needs, etc. And that was part of their own conversion that was so very necessary. And so God blessed the child and the family with a developmental disability. Or maybe it's a physical disability. Or maybe it's that really difficult marriage, that really painful marriage that causes the one spouse to get on their knees and pray all the time. 
That if the marriage was just hunky-dory and everything was just beautiful and perfect and fine and there's nothing but flowers everywhere the two of you went, whatever sort of thing, there's no conversion. There's no on my knees to God begging his help. That difficult child, the child who grew up to be an addict of something and da-da-da-da. You know, here's the thing. Maybe addiction is the way to heaven. Maybe for those people who struggle with addictions and whatever they are, and I, and I think honestly that, well, we all have addictions. Good addictions, which we call good habits, and bad habits, bad addictions. But those bad addictions can even be the catalyst for going to AA and surrendering my life to God, which wouldn't have happened without the addiction. Maybe that's this thing that we could actually turn around through a whole new lens and go, Okay, God, this is really incredibly painful and destructive, but I'm thanking you because it brought me back to you. And I might never have done that without this. As we go through the list of things in our lives, everything from the car not starting, praise God, I get to deal with this today. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Get out my phone and call whoever and start dealing with this. Give it all to you, God. Maybe... He was preventing you from getting in a car wreck. Who knows? But we can thank God for everything. Everything except evil itself. For all the setbacks and all the sufferings of our life. And there are untold multiplications of them throughout our lives. That even those things, if given to God, become the catalyst of our own surrender and conversion. And ultimately, to the perfection that's waiting for us in the kingdom of heaven. We're there in the kingdom of heaven just as it was in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. There will never again be an imperfection. There will never again be a sorrow. And we have God to thank for that that awaits us and for everything on earth that's compelling us to unite ourselves to him to get to that place.